Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your jeans and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life with Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS, tell it like it is wellness show brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Welcome to part four in my series of interviews live from the Bioceutical Symposium. And this week we chat with Dr. Brandon Brock. Dr. Brock is a certified family nurse practitioner and chiropractor with multiple clinical interests, including orthopedics, soft tissue injuries, and functional integrative neurology. Dr. Brock has a passion for lecturing, and he works with people from multiple educational and clinical backgrounds, including medical doctors, nurse practitioners, chiropractors, physical and occupational therapists, dietitians, naturopaths, yay, acupuncturists, oriental medical practitioners, health coaches, and lay people who want to learn to live a healthier life. In Dr. Brock's private practice, he sees countless autoimmune cases plus joint and soft tissue pathologies, but it's the traumatic brain injury and PTSD cases that have really caught his attention. In this episode, we chat about the issues that can stop head injuries from healing properly, the connection between poor gut health and people staying concussed, healing PTSD and working with veterans, and the relationship between SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and the brain. Spoiler alert, the health of your brain can affect the state of your gut. Yay! Okay, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the very final episode from the Bioceutical Symposium. So this is part four. I hope you get a lot out of it. Hello from the Bioceutical Symposium. It's Sunday and I've got sitting in front of me the amazing Dr. Brandon Brock. Uh, Dr. Brock has donated his time to our podcast this afternoon um, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. He combines functional neurology with nutrition, pharmacology, immunology, endocrinology. Oh my Lord, uh, I don't think he ever takes day off ever. Uh, and he does that to give us a very comprehensive approach to some pretty complex presentations. And I've been sitting in some of your case studies this weekend, and they've been epic. Uh, so can you please tell me why you were drawn to this area of practice? Because it's not the easiest, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the easiest route you could have gone down in life. So what is it that really got you about this? Um, I think as a kid, I was always very curious, um, just kind of wanted to understand why the world was the world, why it functioned the way it functioned. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that are like that, a lot of, a lot of curiosity out there and it, it kind of started. And I think I told this story in, in one of my cases where my great grandmother had Parkinson's disease. And I just remember I can tell even to this day, I, mean, I was about eight or nine years old and, uh, I would walk in and the smell was different. The way everybody was was different. And, you know, she was so afflicted and, you know, her twilight years were completely decimated from, from this disease. And I knew nothing about it. I just knew it was something that made a person completely dysfunctional. And I remember at that point in time, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do something with brains. And just, I just knew I was. I was going to be able to help people or at least try. 
That's what we can all do. And so every time I got to one level, I realized there was another level that I needed to learn because it was just like this big pie cut up in like 12, 15 different pieces. And I would get one piece and say, man, there's another one I got to get. And then there's another one I got to get. And there's another one I got to get. And we're still building that pie to this day. But I think that each time we do that, we've learned to help people either have a higher quality of life or have less symptoms or maybe advert the condition altogether. Who knows? But I think we're getting there. And maybe someday we can say that we have been a part of many people's journey. There's many practitioners that are in researchers that are doing this. Maybe we can contribute to that and, and see people not have to be where my great-grandmother was when I was a kid. And which health conditions have you been seeing the most in practice? Like what are you attracting lately? Well, I've kind of got a, a unique practice. I do family medicine. Um and then I do orthopedics and I do neurosurgery or not neurosurgery, neurology. And I, I do minor surgeries, stem cell procedures. And, uh, you know, so I, I see a lot of autoimmune diseases, a lot of chronic diseases, a lot of head injuries, and then a lot of people with joint deterioration or soft tissue pathologies. It's, it's, I'm wearing a lot of different hats because as you go through that journey to try to fight, you know, fix that one person, you learn all these things along the way. So, I don't just practice one thing. My week's really kind of, you know, trifurcated, if you will, into different venues where one day I'm doing this, the next day I'm doing that. Yeah. You do work a lot with head injuries as well, don't you? Yeah. So do you I've, see a lot of young men? Well, I see a lot of, oh boy. I mean, yeah, I did my doc, one of my doctorates, uh, I did work uh, exclusively with head injury. And, you know, the research was really kind of paired up to where it was between the ages of 18 and 65. So it excluded pediatrics. You know, we have to have some sort of inclusion, exclusion criteria. And then, you know, we looked at people who had had symptoms for longer than three months. So they were really post-concussive. They hadn't resolved. And we were kind of looking at the population that had been kind of left out, just left out. Like, hey, you know, sorry. You should have gotten better by now. And we treated those people to see if we can make a difference in them. Because if we can make a difference in them, we knew that we could really do something pretty cool. And we ended up doing it. And so, yeah, we do treat a lot of head injuries. But we found out the other comorbidities or other conditions that go along with head injury that make it not heal right. Mm. And I think that that was the biggest lesson. We got an idea about those things. I don't think we got all of them, but we got an idea, which is a huge step in, I think, a right direction. So what are some of the things that can stop head injuries from healing properly? It's a good question. And I think that's the million dollar question, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we found out that people with autoimmune diseases a lot of times don't heal right. And I'm not going to say every time. I'm going to say a lot of times because they're inflamed. Uh, people that had infectious diseases uh, that were kind of stealthy, maybe they had you know, ongoing Epstein-Barr virus or cytomegalo or flare-ups of herpes or whatever, they were inflamed, so they stayed concussed. Um, we found people that had endocrine disruptions, a lot of times they stayed concussed. People that had underlying gastrointestinal problems like irritable bowel or Crohn's or, you know, um, whatever. I mean, there's a whole myriad of conditions that are, that are going on in the guts. They create inflammation. They stayed concussed. So we kind of just realized that there was a certain, out of our in, our effect size, our, you know, number of people being studied, 
every single one of them had something going on with them. There was nobody that was just head injury, not healing. If that was the case, they were either moderate or severe head injury. We weren't including them in our trial. Our trial was just mild. Okay. Ongoing mild TBI. Why are they staying there? And the reason why we wanted to look at this population is because those people can be very afflicted, but they're supposed to be very functional. So nobody really wants to listen to them. So we're, we're thinking, man, if we can help them really be what society says they should be, then we're doing a lot. If you're in an ICU somewhere with hoses running out of you, we know you're not supposed to function, right? So I think that it was really fun. It was enjoyable to kind of get some ideas. And what we realized is, is that out of 100% of those people, we found something else going on with them. Now, I find that there's always coincidence in this, right? But I find it hard to believe that it's a coincidence. And I think it's not a coincidence, probably not a coincidence. And when all the statistics that we ran in every area and believe me, there was a bunch, they all really worked out so well that to be honest with you, we were leery on even considering publishing the paper. Wow. You know, whenever everything snaps together that good, you're just like, this is not supposed to be this easy. So what have I missed? Yeah. What if, you know, we we get to make something look, you know, kind of bad here, but It's, it's, it really, it's, it, it didn't determine, and I just want to be really, really cautious here. What we did didn't determine efficacy. In other words, it wasn't, we didn't say that we had a cure for a traumatic brain injury. What we found is, is that we did a quality improvement type project where we found that in a given neurological facility, that if we integrated care and did five or six different things and looked at labs and identified different features, we had a higher probability of that person getting better than a lower probability. And that's a good start. And it was retrospective. And that's a good start to say, hey, you know what? We should do a prospective registered clinical trial over something like this in the future to see if it sticks and it's reproducible. And if it sticks and it's reproducible, now we have a paradigm shift and other people can add to it. And I think that's the way that research should be done expeditiously so that it can catch up to the clinical world. The clinical world can then tie into it and we can move forward instead of everybody arguing about it. Yeah. Have you also worked with PTSD patients? Yes, I have. Well, you really like to pick the most difficult ones, don't you? I spent two years working with PTSD people. And when I say people, I'm meaning mainly vets. Okay. And just lovely people, but it was the most difficult two years of my life. I mean, and I will say this, with with no disrespect, by the end of the two years, I had PTSD. Yeah. I mean, and it's true, you know, I mean, because, you know, there was nights where I would literally sit in a hotel room with somebody that I thought was not going to make it. Or it, it was just, it was a crazy time. It really was. I mean, it was more than just science. It was more than just therapy. It was, you. we were assuming this responsibility unknowingly. We didn't know what we were getting into. We're like, we're just going to be you know, gung-ho, we're going to go help PTSD people. What we found out is, is that the entire paradigm of the research got shot because there was too many variables. And a lot of the variables was the volatility of the people involved. Yeah. You just couldn't stay regimented. And, uh, but we had to keep people alive. Forget about everything else. Mm-hmm. Forget about a sterile environment. I need this person to live. And so, uh, one of the good things is, is that our, you know, the suicide rate and our, in the people that we were treating was very, 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 very low. Uh, we only had one incident and that was after the person had left. So we defied the odds and the statistics on that. 
The other thing is, is people got better. Their dizziness was better. Their traumatic brain. There's a lot of correlation between traumatic brain injury and PTSD. Um, a lot of relationships being, you know, mended back together. I mean, I look back at that time and it, it taught me how to care about people. It taught me how to think. It taught me how to quilt information together. And then it just really flowed right into the research that I did on TBI because they were both traumatic neurological, you know, illnesses. But I will forever have a special place for people with PTSD because PTSD is really the ultimate mental illness, meaning that it's got some depression and it's got some anxiety and it. it's got maybe some psychosis and maybe some even some homicidal tendencies in it. It's got a lot of facets to it that if you don't know how to watch out for them, there's a problem and there's not really one pill that fixes it. Mm. Is it almost like PTSD is an umbrella term for a whole lot of other things that are, are going on? Yeah, PTS is a is a lead in for anxiety. And then, you know, you may get over some of your PTS, but the anxiety sticks. Same thing with depression or the same thing with, you know, your brain is now doing so bad you're homeless or your brain is doing so bad you don't see the reason to live. So there's a high suicide rate. You know, at one point in time in this country, and of course this is these statistics are flu you know, they're they're fluid. They're they're fluctuant. But there was up to a twenty two, you know, people per day average. You know, it's probably not that high now. There's a, you know, there's an infinite amount of, you know, there's a limited amount of people for this kind of thing. So it's, 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 you know, we're pulling people out. There's not that many. There's, but at one point in time, you know, 22 people a day and 50,000 homeless. That's a terrifying statistic. And I can't believe, really, to be honest with you, that the government is even allowing anything like it. There should not be a homeless vet, in my opinion. I agree. I mean, money is allocated all over the world from the United States, and without getting political here on your podcast, which you I can, won't do. You can, it's your <laughs> podcast too today. Well, you know, well, well, then I'll make a, then I'll make a political <laughs> statement. Any politician that allows a, a vet to be homeless should not be allowed to be a politician. Yep. I mean, and there's things we could argue all day, and there's a lot of people that need things. You know, kids need shoes, people need food, but I think we send a lot of our resources off to other countries rather than taking care of the people that defended ours. And and that's a freaking shame. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why it's so, I mean, PTSD is, is one of the most difficult areas of medicine. And that, that's why. It's tricky. I, yeah, it is tricky. But it's good that there's, you know, good people working to try and do something about it. Well, and the sad thing is that even the treatment for it is getting highly political. Everybody wants, it's like, uh, it's like, it's. And don't don't take this as a bad analogy, but it's like HIV. Everybody wants to find the the diagnostic parameter, and then everybody wants to find the cure, so they can be the coolest person on the block. And a lot of people are are forgetting the reason why we're looking at this, and that is to help people who are afflicted with it. It's not a matter of glory, and so it's become highly politicized. And there's a lot of venomous striking between this group and that group and you know I, my, I'm, I'm smarter than you and then you know you're not as smart as me and I've got this degree so I obviously know more than you and you know at some point in time it's driven away a lot of the people that are doing research and and, and getting offering treatment because they don't want to deal with the the rigmarole of this whole thing and uh, that to me has been the biggest uh, crying shame of being a part of it yeah and as with any profession, whether it's the medical profession or naturopaths or chiropractors or whatever, as soon as there's infighting, it's taking everyone away <laughs> yeah. from why they got into this job in the first place. Yeah, and then when you look at PTS, you're talking about infighting, 
and then this group fighting with this group, and then the government overseeing it, and then funding may be involved. I mean, it, it can really become a bad, bad situation. And in the end of the day, all you're trying to do is really help people. And But, you know, all that aside, I'm very, again, I look back, I would never change that time of my life. Um, but you have to know your stuff to treat people. If you think that you're just a regular psychologist and you're going to talk somebody out of being sad and unhappy, you're going to fail very, very badly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on a slightly lighter note, well, it might be a lighter note. Let's see where this goes. Okay. Uh, you did mention things like uh, the immune system, but then also the gut earlier. I'm curious uh, to hear your take on the relationship between SIBO and the brain. Because yeah. uh, naturopaths have been banging on about gut health affecting brain health for a really long time. But this weekend, you kind of blew my mind a little bit by showing us that the brain health in return then affects the gut health and that we've actually got a loop going on. So, sure we do. Yeah. yeah. So, well, it's it's really not a – and the literature actually is pretty – not just shallow, but deep on this topic about gut affecting brain. I mean, if you have inflammation and uh, you're not, you know, you're absorbing large molecular weight proteins that are you know, basically undigested proteins that are not an amino acid, but a, a conglomerate of amino acids in a protein structure, the immune system is going to look at it, not like it, and you're just going to create inflammation. Okay. So that, that can eventually get into the brain and the brain doesn't like inf- inflammation any better than any other part of your body. So what may happen is the brain now decides to not function that well, and so the output or the outflow mechanisms of your brain, like the the vagal highway, so to speak, it's not as good as it should be. It goes down to the gut and keeps it healthy. So now if the gut becomes unhealthy and then the brain as a result becomes unhealthy and then the output through the vagal system becomes unhealthy, it further makes the gut worse. Well, that allows the gut to now become more destroyed the brain suffers more consequentially, you know, consequentially, and uh, you have a vicious loop. And it can start either way. It can start the brain can start the gut cascade, and the gut can start the brain cascade. And we found that until we treat both ends of that equation, that a lot of times it becomes untreatable. And I think that the naturopaths have it right. I think that a lot of the functional neurologists have it right. One of the problems is is that there haven't been dinners where the two sit down together and say, I know this, you know that, let's, you know, draw this thing out and put it together. And that's what I've really, my whole career has been forcing people to have that conversation. And it's very difficult and very uncomfortable sometimes, but at the end of the day, whenever people say, okay, you know this, I know that, let's learn together. We just built a new paradigm. And then another person comes in and they're like, we built a new paradigm. And so what we're finding is the entire landscape of medicine on some of these uh, concepts is really getting put in the dark ages. Yeah. But I love how you talk about that collaborative approach because it's really refreshing and it's really needed. And I think on both sides, there's been a lot of people being guarded and not wanting to work with the other, well, I'll call them sides, but they shouldn't even be sides because we're all in this together. But this is the one thing I've loved most about this conference is having doctors, naturopaths, chiros, nutritionists all in the same room all looking to have the same way of moving forward. So I think it's I think it's beautiful. I have been dealing with the politics of my profession and my affiliations for years now and so anytime you get a chance to go to a conference and and you see that 
really dissipate and then you see people happy and collaborating and talking about what they do, you don't, you half the time you don't even know what they do. They're just talking with you about the information and contributing and it's yeah, very few places do you get to go where this happens, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, I can, I can come here and be happy. I'm happy while I'm here and then I can leave and be happy as ever because I know that I was part of something that is really history. It's a step. You know, we got all these millions and millions of billions actually of dollars going to fix something like Alzheimer's disease and they're giving up. And then you've got a conference like this where people are coming together and they're, they're actually creating answers that can, you know, definitely minimize symptoms, probably slow progression, getting closer to, you know, halting and you never know, maybe reversal. Yeah. What will that be like? That would be amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's to more collaborations in the future from both sides of the fence and maybe just break down the fence and be done with it. Yeah. So, look, Dr. Brandon Brock, thank you so much for being a part of this movement. Thank you. And thank you for spending time with us today. Enjoy it. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss an instalment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.